You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, if you see Yud Dalad in the right column, he's trying to explain the mitzvah of appointing a king. And all the commentaries ask that the Torah describes the mitzvah of appointing a king differently than it does all the other mitzvahs. Because typically it just tells us what to do. Here, the Torah gives a whole narrative about how we are going to ask for a king. And in fact, the Torah doesn't give, um, the Torah presumes that we're not even going to ask the right way. And the Torah says, you know what, you guys are going to be a bunch of uh, scoundrels, and you're going to complain, and you're going to demand. So here's what I want you to do. So his approach, and it's a little lengthy, and that's part of what we're going to have to do with the Alshech, is skip around in paragraphs, because he will, he's a darshan. So a darshan's got to, he's got, he's got to speak for an hour, and he's got to make sure everyone understands it, so he spoke for more than an hour. Uh, he's got to make sure everyone understands. So he's going to elaborate and expound and bring in mashalim and statements. Uh, as one of the commentaries, uh, the, in fact, there's a translation of the Alshech, which is, uh, I'll tell you about that because uh, you had asked about that. There is a translation of the Alshech, but it's not a complete translation because a complete translation would be uh, seven or eight volumes. And someone did a three-volume translation. He had to pick and choose. And in, in his introduction to the translation, he says, um, there's a lot of repetition and there's a lot of uh, elaboration. And I felt like that would be too much. And so the translator, he, he just picked and chose um, what he felt he could translate or what he should translate. And at one point, in order to bring out the uh, extent of the elaborations that you'll find in the Alshech, he says, you should realize that they have made a safer of a full commentary on Pirkei Avos from the first Mishnah to the last Mishnah. They've, um, by extracting his comments within his comments on the Torah, they've pulled out a full commentary on Pirkei Avos. That's how much he elaborates. So the, the approach that he takes, and we're going to start from Yudalad, which is actually in the middle of the piece, but this is where he gets to the point, where he says that Hashem does not want the Jewish people to ask this way, but rather Hashem is telling the Jewish people, I know that this is the way you're going to ask. And it's an interesting thing, because typically when I tell you I know what you're going to say next. You're going to say this and this and this. Now, assuming it's something negative, it's very likely that you will purposely avoid saying it that way so that I, will not, I was not wrong about my bad judgment of you. Hashem calls the Jewish people out and says, you guys are going to ask it like this. And then the Jewish people actually do that. They ask 500 years later. They, they say, you know, we want a king just like all the Goyim. And so he says, V'shir HaKasuf. This is how you read the Pesukim. Ki you'll come to the land. Asher Hashem lach nachla. That Hashem gives you an inheritance. Bibli alacha. And Hashem is going to bring you in the land without appointing you a king. 
who will go before you, to fight your wars. Meaning, Hashem is not going to appoint a king in order to capture and conquer Eretz Yisrael. You will inherit in the land, and you will settle in the land, without a king. What? He's not a king. He's not a king. This shows you Hashem is not letting you appoint a king when you come into Eretz Yisrael. Hashem wants to show you first that you don't need a king. So Hashem is going to allow you to conquer the land. You're going to settle the land. And all this, as if, says the Alshech, they would not be allowed to appoint a king at that point is an interesting take. That means that somewhere during the 14 years of the wars and the division of the land, if the Jewish people would have asked the king, they would have said, no. It says in the Torah that you can't do that until you've settled the land. You know, but having like a Navi who gives you advice or having a shofate during that time, isn't that just you know, isn't that just a different word for king? I mean, uh, he, he has certain powers that a king might have, as much as any leader would have powers that a king might have. He's not a king, and he can't do the things that a king can do. He doesn't have the same rights as a king, and can't, doesn't have the obligations of a king, and all the other things like that. He's not a king. And the proof is that the Jewish people ask for a king. They had Shmuel. Shmuel was a brilliant leader. Shmuel was a beloved by the people. He And he put himself out for the people. Shmuel would travel from place to place, but he wasn't a king. And so Hashem insists that the thing that they need the king most for, which would be the conquering and settling of the land, I'm not allowing you to have a king for that. As if to say um, that Hashem is your king above. And God is with you on the land. He goes out before you and fights your wars. In fact, that's the greatest glory of the Jewish people. That what a king of flesh and blood does for his people on earth, Hashem does for you. Not only that. If Hashem is leading you in the war, you're pretty much guaranteed victory. Because Hashem is telling you, I'm going to give you inheritance of the land, you'll settle in. And now, you can picture the Alshech using that sort of um, sarcastic tone that a good preacher will use. But what can I do? This is Hashem speaking. I know that you're going to say, I want a king. And I know you're not going to see. That Hashem in heaven is your king on the earth. Therefore, I have preceded now in Pasha Shoftim. To give you a positive commandment. To appoint a king. Because you're going to do it anyway. Alkein, therefore... Tov Tovu, it's at least better that you fulfill my command in the matter rather than transgress my will. So basically... I'm sorry, I I was just going to ask you, is this like 
the uh, Ifas Torah. Yeah, that's yeah. Ah, that's his next paragraph. We'll get to that in a yeah, second. Like the captured woman, okay. where you're not really supposed to do it, but we'll get to that in just a second. But here he's saying, Hashem, Hashem is, is saying, listen, the, you don't need it. In fact, I'm going to show you why you don't need it. I could have given you a king now and said, you know, I'm, I'm, no, I'm instructing you not to get a king until you've conquered the land and settled in it and done more for you than a king will ever be able to do for you. And then I know you're going to ask for the king. But that careful Amro, and that's why the Torah repeats the word twice, Som Tasim, Lomer to say like this, Yodati I know, I know you won't be able to hold yourself back from some from the appointment. From your initiative. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn it into a mitzvah and allow you to perform the mitzvah. So then oh, everyone's going to ask, it should be immediately the question, then why didn't Hashem use a similar kind of negative language that we find by the Yifas Toar, by the captured woman? Shedibra Torah connected Yetzirah. There, the Torah too speaks against the Yetzirah. Lahater biasamochama. There, the Torah permits having the relationship in the war. Achlo asah mitzvah saseh. But there, it's not a positive commandment. It's not something Hashem says. You know what? You're going to do it. Let's turn it into a mitzvah. That's not what it says. Haloki ahuki shamhu al So he says. One second. Hello isham. The reason is because there it's speaking to an individual. And here it's speaking to the Jewish people as a whole. Like this. It is a bad thing. I don't like it. I'm going to permit it to you. So you don't get punished. In fact, I don't want you to take the captured woman. Because there's going to be some um, fallout. There's going to be some collateral damage to taking the captured woman. The proof, someone who does rely on that um, dispensation, life is going to get really bad. You're going to go from one evil to another evil. You'll end up despising her. And then he'll give birth to a wayward son. But so for Lisakel, who's going to end up getting stoned. That's the, uh, in Parshish Kisetze, that's the connection they make. That's why um, when David HaMelech, when his son Avshalom rebelled against him, the Gemara tells us that David wanted to go commit sins. So he met one of his advisors who says to him, why are you going to commit sins? He says, because... Um, you know, I've already atoned for all my sins, and I have no sin for which I deserve this. So people are going to say that God causes bad things to happen to good people. So I want to do some sins to protect God. That's what David says. So the other one says to him, well, you took a captured woman at war. That was Macha, the uh, mother of Avshalom. Mm-hmm. You took a captured woman in war. So he says, yeah, but the Torah permitted it. He says, no, the Torah didn't permit it. The Torah let it pass. But we know the result of that is a wayward son. So now you've got yourself a wayward son. <laughs> All right. 
Alkain, therefore, so it says the Alshech, and this is such a beautiful teaching. In Biyachid also, who is Baruch Kain, Hashem will allow an individual to make bad choices, and as a result of that bad choice, He'll permit it, He'll let it go, and then let that person suffer the consequences of those bad choices. Lo Yasekain Bekal Amo Ke'achad, Hashem will not do that for all His people as one. La says Michshol Lefneyam, to give them this stumbling block. Weren't the spies the similar stumbling block? Oh, that was their own choice. But the, here... But he, allowed, he allowed them to... Live no, no, the, the people can sin if they want to sin. But he's not going to have a mitzvah, which, uh, which will see, then, right? Lomar, atir lechem iser I'm going to permit this prohibition. Shetamlichu melech derech v'shus, and then it's your own choice, like with the um, woman at war. Sheimkein... Because if that's the case, because God hasn't officially sanctioned it, he's just, if God would just say, well, do your thing, leave me out of it, there would be punishment still available. And that's going to cause that the entire Jewish people would experience a similar effect to the woman captured at war. They'll go from one bad place to another. And that would endanger all the people of Hashem. Therefore, this is the Kiddush of the Out of great mercy and compassion that Hashem has for the Jewish people, they didn't allow it to be a prohibition that God doesn't really want. Hashem turns it into a positive commandment of the Torah. On the contrary, in this way, we're doing the will of Hashem and fulfilling His command. Hashem is commanding us to do what He doesn't really want us to do, so that when we're doing it, it's considered the fulfillment of God's will. Is this the same philosophy behind the Rambam's idea with Korbanot? Kind of, except that the the Rambam is taking away from the deeper reasons behind Karbanos. Mm-hmm. He's he has the Asher has a little more right here because the Torah does speak of it in a negative context. Right? Uh-huh. Right, here the language is, you know, I know you're going to say this. And that way you acquire for yourself an angel of mitzvah. Just like you would do any of the mitzvahs of the Torah. As if, if the Jewish people don't say, hey, we want a king like all the nations, they would be required to say, Right? It, the Alshech is changing it. He's not saying, I know you're going to say, give me a king like all the nations. He's saying, I know you're going to say that. So I'm commanding you to say, give me a king like all the nations. <laughs> right. It's the reason why God commands it. Because they had free will. So they were going to do it in practicality. Um, and it's not because Hashem commanded you know, them to complain. Meaning that even the complaint is no longer a sin. God even incorporated that complaint that they're going to use, the language which they shouldn't be using, into the mitzvah as if they are now reading a script that God has written for them, and they can't be held accountable even for the complaint.
So what happens to free will? Oh, they have free will. He's commanding them to use their free will to use the language that they were going to use anyway. Because <laughs> now God um, appoints them to make a king without... Uh, I'm saying, if... The, if um, if if they ashmasam rabaki luchachmo, so he says, because were it not for this, then there would be a sin against them. Because were they wise, they should have said, we want to do it with the mitzvah Hashem. But the truth is that they didn't say God instructed us and scripted for us this language, so we're going right. to use this language. They actually end up using this language because they felt that way. That's why Shmuel complains of them and says, what's wrong with you guys? Not because you use this language, but because you use the language without using the fact that God scripted it for you as the reason for using the language. They should have quoted. They, they should have said, yeah, God tells us to complain. And we want to now be Makayim. Right. So he says that an incredible take on this whole uh, this whole chat. Finding the reason for mitzvah. Some mitzvahs we have that the Torah tells you why I want you to do the mitzvah. Other mitzvahs, the Torah says, just do it. Right. And here is different. This is the exception because here the Torah tells us we, the negative um, <laughs> perspective we're going to have, and the Torah tells us the response to it. And so, if we would have the negative perspective because God commanded us to have the negative perspective, then it wouldn't be a negative perspective. Uh, but because we had a negative perspective anyway, it ends up being a mitzvah. But Shmuel is saying to them, you guys, finally, one time God gives you a mitzvah to complain. And you don't complain for the sake of the mitzvah. You complain for the sake of complaining. You missed your chance. Is this why the uh, Jewish monarchy, by and large, was such a failure to this foundation? I mean, each king, David, uh, Shaul, David, and Shlomo has, uh, commits a major problem. Well, and, and then the, after Shlomo, uh, there's the split, uh, and it just gets worse after that. Well, I, I, I'm not sure I'll, I'm going to fully agree with that given. Um, David, in terms of a king, is the greatest king there ever was. Uh, personally, he had some, had some issues. It doesn't affect his sovereignty. If, uh, if David Amalek has in his personal relationship with Hashem, he has his own issues. Uh, as a result of that, there ends up being some things that would affect the people, such as Avshalom's rebellion and things like that. But, uh, and a plague. Well, the plague for counting the people, yeah, but yeah. That's, that's relatively minor to a 40-year reign. Uh, and, and he figured out how to fix it, but in terms of a king... He was, he was brilliant. He expanded the land and grew the economy and set up the country for the peaceful years of Shlomo HaMelech. And Shlomo HaMelech, too, for the, almost uh, the, the beginning of his reign until the end when things started to fall apart. And that would lead to the split in the country. And then you have Chizkiyahu. Chizkiyahu certainly was a, a righteous king who saved the Jewish people from Assyria and who... Um, Things were good in his days. It would fall apart in the sun in the days of his son Manasseh, but there were there were ups and downs. We but a big gap between uh, Shlomo and Hiskiyahu. Yeah, there were, but there were some other good kings there. So it's it's up and down, and I, I'm not sure if if it's the kings who were really failures as much as the Jewish people. Uh, 
have their ups and downs. The kings reflect that. But we had some pretty decent kings. Although, the, the, you're right, the split does kind of, uh, um, yeah, makes but, it but makes this it doesn't strike as odd. There's, God places a natural affinity for a king. And then he says that that's a bad thing. And yet in recognition of the natural affinity that God places within the Jewish people, he says, I make that a mitzvah. Oh, well, who said it's uh, God? It's a natural affinity. Well, because they're, they're saying that the Jewish people—that's the natural thing. He didn't say natural. Him. He said it's inevitable. And that's not the same as natural. It's not. You guys can overcome it. You guys can choose to recognize that Hashem is caring for you and and <laughs> giving you the land and protecting you, and you'd be better off with Hashem. You still have the choice to do that. But I know you're not going to do that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you how it's going to go down. But. With respect to conquering the land, it's not so clear. I mean, there were still struggles with conquering the land for a long time after Yahushua and after the first 14 years. Well, well only because they, the Jewish people made a bad choice and didn't drive out the nations as they were supposed to, as it's described in the book of Yahushua. They were, um, and Yeshua himself was delaying the process, and he loses years of his life as a result of it. But the, yeah, the Jewish people were dragging out the process, and that was not a good thing. But that's the people's choice. But in terms of the war, nobody died except an eye, where, and that was the result of Achan taking the spoils of Yericho. But uh, basically, they went to war, and they just wiped out the city one, cities one after the other without any casualties. That's pretty good. So, d- doesn't someone say, I, I don't remember who it was, some, someone says that the problem that went in, in Sefer Shmuel is that they asked for somebody not only to lead them in war, but actually to judge them, and that's what Shmuel was. And so, um, he, in other words, they, they, and Hashem oh, yeah, says no, there are... There are there, other they, interpretations so, of, the, but, of the issue. He's not taking the, that approach. But, but to support what you're saying, that it, it, even the purpose for the king, you know, you could say that was what was the inevitable or, or what you call the natural kind of... But, but the part about when they had someone who was beloved, who was judging the people, uh, and, and they even in the face of that, they wanted someone else, it shows that they weren't able to follow the direction they should have had with this mitzvah. Uh, why do you say with the mitzvah? Well, because they were, it, the way that the Alshech learns is that you're going to ask for a king, and they didn't say that we're asking for a king because it's a mitzvah in the Torah right. to ask for him. So a proof of that is they're asking for something that a judge was un, uh, that a king was unnecessary for, namely to judge them. I'm not following how that proves that they're not doing it for the sake of the mitzvah. Well, they are because they had Shmuel. Right, but maybe they're still doing it for the sake of the mitzvah. Uh, okay, let me think about that. Okay, let's turn to page Reish Yud Beis. Okay, Th- there's a mitzvah in the Torah. The Torah says you should not breach the boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, meaning that you were given land, uh, everyone's divided land, and when you have a lot of land... It's uh, hard for people to track exactly where your land begins and my land, where your land ends and my land begins. And it would be very easy 
for someone to come in the middle of the night and move the fences over a few feet. Right? And people wouldn't be the wiser. So there's a mitzvah in the Torah of Hasaga's Gavul, which is to uh, break the boundaries. But the Torah uses a language of um, don't breach the boundaries, asher gavlu rishonim. Very interesting language. That the, that the ancient ones have created the boundary for. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so what's exactly, what exactly is he referring to? So if you see on page, Reish Yud Beis, Yud Dalad. Mm-hmm. This rule applies both in the days of Yehoshua. And even though when you're going to leave Eretz Yisrael, you're going to come back, and people are not necessarily going to go back to their ancient territories. And then you might say, well, maybe the rules of Asagas Gavul doesn't apply anymore because it's no longer the land that God apportioned to you, but rather we just came back and took plots of land, took over the land. Still, the rule applies. Now, he says an amazing take on uh, something which um, should, uh, if, if we understand this properly, should... Um, Make a very interesting uh, picture in your mind. If this, uh, we use the concept if somebody intrudes on somebody else's business. Right, it comes from this, yeah. This yeah. Is, but is it actually the same thing here? It's Technically, right yeah, right? you're you're breaching that person's boundary. It's the same thing. Odiyachin. Furthermore, I think Ramaz Galus Asher says the Ashik This is speaking to us in the exile we are in. The land today is actually swallowed up within itself. Kamosha Amurban Zakin the Gemara tells us, Shalkin Eretz Yisrael Nikres Eretz Tzvi. Why is Eretz Yisrael called uh, the land of the deer? Mm-hmm. If you skin a deer, you cannot wrap that deer, wrap that skin around the original deer's flesh, it's too small. It doesn't make any sense how, how the skin doesn't cover the surface area of the animal. It's elastic tissue. Yeah, but you should be able to get something that stretches it out. No, because after you take it off, it probably shrinks up. So that's what he's saying. So, the land shrinks. Says the Alshech. The land rings. Just like a wedding ring? It's called winking. That's a news. That's your finger growing. Right. He, he says. The diamond always shrinks. This is my wife tells me this. Over time. But you keep looking at it, yeah, and it gets smaller and smaller. Yeah. He says. Where is the 400 parsa by 400 parsa? Meaning, he's saying, Eretz Yisrael has a size. It's 400 parsa by 400 parsa. Now, I'm not sure if he means the original parsa or the current parsa, because parsa can have different definitions, but the simple understanding of a parsa is about four miles. Wow, 1,600 miles square. 1,600 square miles. Elishim Mechuvetzes, but Eretz Yisrael has shrunk from all the Jewish blood spilled in it. So he says, Eretz Yisrael has shrunk because the all, as it says, the Torah continues next 
in the next parsha it says, don't spill um, innocent blood. If you spill blood in Eretz Yisrael, it causes you to breach or break the boundaries. Because instead of when we do the wrong thing, when we do the wrong thing, especially in the realm of uh, murder and killing of the innocent, so instead of me going out in the middle of the night and moving my fence, I've done worse. I've caused the whole earth, the whole land, to contract on itself, and I've made everyone's boundaries smaller. Every time you commit that kind of sin, you shrink everyone's plot of land. Is that why they talk about the Yeramiklat in this parsha? No, that's the connection he's making. That's what he says. Go back to the ancients. He says the original Jews who entered into Eretz Israel had 1,600 square miles. Not like it is today. Al-Sheikh is living in Eretz Israel. Originally, Eretz Yisrael was a 40-day walk along its length, and a 40-day walk along its width. Now it's a one-day walk to its width. From the Jordan until the Sea of Akko, which we know is the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Um, and three um, or four days walk in the length, I assume he means three, three days if you're driving on your own, four days if your wife is in the car. <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, uh, <laughs> you had them, and then you lost them. You had them, and now they're out of here. <laughs> so, your wife takes the car, and she's there. Is, is anyone disagree? <laughs> it's interesting that uh, he mentions those uh, width borders compared to today. It's 500 years ago before for the Balfour Declaration or anything, for any war, Jordan to the Mediterranean, it's ironic that that's what he mentions as the borders even 500 years ago. Well, that's the biblical border. He's just saying that that same... The Transjordan was also the three tribes that was... Yeah, but that's not the 400 parcel by 400 parcel when we talk about. So, so, yeah, I mean, he was... he's. Um, uh, at this point, the Jews were certainly not uh, dwelling in all of that. But what he's saying, an incredible thing. He's saying right now, Eretz Israel is a 45-minute drive from border to border. It's the size of the state of New Jersey. It is supposed to be the size of the entire northeast of the United States. That's the size Eretz Israel is supposed so, to so be. if this is the case, then why isn't it continually shrinking now? I mean, why don't we see? It's shrinking. There's been more bloodshed going on. the territory. Ah. It's shrinking. Air shrinking. So you yeah. think that's another yeah. way by, yeah, by giving that. back the territory? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It could be. I uh, maybe there's also there's a saturation level. Uh, uh, maybe maybe we've reached reached that where the smallest they could. I don't know. He says, but this is what the Torah is telling you that don't breach the boundaries, don't break the borders of Israel. Uh, and it's connected to the parsha of uh, spilling blood. It's right after the Aramiklat to tell you that the, it's murder, it's these kinds of sins, when the land absorbs the blood, it causes the land to fold over on itself and to constrict on itself. And you're causing the boundaries of everyone to shrink. Even Negorufa is part of that. 
problem. Yeah. The guy died. We don't know if he was killed. We don't know how he died. So, so we have to take a par- part of the land out of commission. Interesting, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. May it be that Hashem pours the spirit above, from above to fulfill the verse which says, There's a verse in Tehillah, uh, Yeshaya, um, expand the place of your tent. That's his prayer. Uh, we'll do one more in the uh, Alshech, but an incredible perspective, especially for someone who's in Eretz Yisrael 500 years ago. And he, he knows the source is. He says, this, is, this, Jewish, is, this isn't Jewish, the size of Eretz Yisrael. When, when Jews are martyred in the land of Israel, the like, he doesn't say that. He says, um, 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 uh, maybe you could read it that way. From our blood that's been spilled in it, maybe you could, you could say that too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, amazing, amazing uh, perspective. I don't think anyone phrases it that way. Okay, so let's try one more. Page Reish Tezvav. On the bottom left. One more question. On the sure. Is, in referring to the spilled blood in the sense of killing people, is the uh, reason behind the killing more than just killing the physical person? You know, Lush and Hara, for instance, or anything like that. Is, are there, or is it just physically killing well, he's he's referring to physically killing. Uh, again, he's a he's a darshan, so you could make a drush on his drasha, but uh, that's. You know, it's interesting with blood; it actually coagulates and gets smaller, and so it's like almost. A like taking the land with it as it congeals. Yeah. And, yeah. and we have to cover the blood with. Oh. interesting. We have to cover the blood with land when we shed something. We have to you know, when you spill the blood, you put, have to cover the put blood. Put dirt over it, right? Yeah, and maybe that to cover the land, maybe to. Remiss that? I don't know. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Okay, uh, it looks like I'm basically out of time, so I'm just going to say he, what he says here outside. Um, the Torah, when it, uh, some of you may see in the email, but the Torah, when it talks about going to war and it tells us not to cut down trees, it uses a very strange language. It says, Ki ha'adam eats hasada. For, um, for the, the, simply it's read as a question, is a man like a tree of the field? It's a strange language to use, and all the commentaries give their own explanation. And he says a brilliant explanation based on Rashi in Parshas Bechakose, and what a beautiful connection he makes. Rashi says, and in Bracha it says, the eights hasadeh yitain pirio. The trees of the field will give their fruit. But in the curse, it doesn't say the eights hasadeh, but it says the eights haaretz yitain pirio. So what's the what? Um, I'm sorry, eitz haaretz lo yitemperio. Why does the Torah change from eitz hasadeh to eitz haaretz? So Rashi says, Rashi explains that eitz hasadeh is of the field, refers to trees that don't bear fruit. And in the bracha, it's telling you that even the eitz hasadeh will give fruit, like we say in the future, mm-hmm. even the non-fruit bearing trees will give fruit. In the curse, it refers to the eitz haaretz. Eight Ha'aretz refers to fruit-bearing trees. And the curse is that even the eight Ha'aretz, the fruit-bearing trees, won't give fruit. So that's just a general idea that you see out there, that eight Ha'sadeh refers to non-fruit-bearing trees, and eight Ha'aretz refers to fruit-bearing trees. So he says that you'll come to a, you'll come to a land, and you'll see the people there, and you'll say... Um, You'll say, uh, God tells you not to cut down the fruit trees. And you'll say, but I'm, I'm go- about to murder people. I'm about to kill people and wipe them out. How can I 
justify not being kind and um, merciful to the trees when I'm about to commit a much more uh, treacherous deed, which is the killing of people. You're just preserving the trees for yourself. What do you think? I, I understand, but the Torah says it that uh, almost like you should you shouldn't destroy. That's the way the Torah says it, and that's where we get the word baltashkas from. And yet, I'm about to kill people. It feels a little hypocritical. So he says no, ki haadam, because these people eats hasade are non-fruit bearing trees. They are like the level of the trees that don't bear fruit because they are destructive to the world. They are not. So he's saying, no, the whole point of this mitzvah is to tell you, it's to inspire you, that these people are actually less to the world than the fruit trees. In other words, if these people were at least like fruit trees, we would have to have mercy on them. And because they are destructive and bad people who bring sin to the world and bring destruction to the world, you should see them as non-fruit-bearing trees. And the key is the ki ha'adam eitz hasada. Man is like the, these people are like the eitz hasada. Well, we have to try to be more like the um, eitz ha'aretz, the fruit-bearing trees. Those are the ones that we're supposed to keep and contain in the world because of the positive that it brings to the world. Emir Hashem will pick up on Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.